I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control, Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Breathe in the air. (sighs) Do you have a mantra? Do you guys have a mantra when you meditate? When you do breath work? (laughs) I have a few, yeah. But also, I... Uh, we were talking about this just briefly off air. Um, tonight's episode, we're diving into some stuff that maybe we didn't all appreciate in grade school. Because it's like, why do I have to learn all these abstract facts? Oh, but dude, that's where it's been coming back to me from. Like, I'm flashing back to, like, middle school and maybe later elementary school learning about photosynthesis and, like, the water cycle. I'm literally picturing these diagrams from textbooks. They're flashing through my mind. Yeah, my mantra is phosphoglyceride that's a good one that's a that is a really good mantra wow. number of syllables mine too. is goose fraba <laughs> <laughs> and we so a while back folks we on i think a strange news segment we talked a little bit about a fascinating study that led us collectively to a new appreciation of one of earth's most underrated life forms Plants, you know, towering trees, humble shrubs, weeds, everything in between. And weed, by the way, is a very unfair linguistic trick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Except for like, you know, the one that you smoke. That one, right, for some reason. Right. Which is okay. slang. Yeah, totally. for sure. But yeah, yeah what, what makes a shrub humble, though? I love that because it does. It feels that way. But what, what makes a shrub so humble? If you combine a bunch of shrubs, it could be quite ostentatious. Mm-hmm. Especially if you trim it into a topiary shape. Yeah. shape. Uh, yeah, the the thing is, again, you know, for all of human civilization, people have been anthropomorphizing everything in the world around them. And of course, plants are no different we as we owe all of civilization this is not hyperbole all of civilization to plants and for most of history that was awesome that was not a problem plants were dope 10 10 no notes for now so what may change and when would it change what does that mean here are the facts give it up to plants Woo. You like steak? You like plants. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> yeah. Were, there, were those like exist coexisting or is it like if you like steak, you'll like plants. Can't have like steak. steak. Can't have steak without, without photosynthesis, well, baby. That's also true. You that's can't have true. your favorite things and your least favorite things. You can't have them without plants and 
because of their superpower photosynthesis. The yeah, world, you can eat it too. Yeah. Like Plants. literal superpower. Like, it is like, a superpower. Like, Look wild. At, I understand the science and it still doesn't really make sense. Like how evolution just brute force hacked that one. Well, we're, we're going to get into it, but like literally, th- so sunlight is the powerhouse, right? The sun is the powerhouse for all life that we know. And somehow these cells specialized in a way to take that sunlight and all the water that's going on on this planet and make stuff. Well, and not to mention the whole Goldilocks zone of it all. The sun is also the perfect distance away to give us that, you know, rejuvenating energy without like frying our eyeballs out of our skulls or setting the forests on fire for now. Yeah, I'm, right? I, I'm like, just saying yeah. the, the perfection of this fluke, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. you may believe, uh, the science of it is bonkers. And the fact that it works and just kind of always has been, it's mind blowing. And then we figured out how to farm, you know, and just kind of extend that whole natural process. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty fascinating. I'm, I'm always taken with the the um, the order of operations cognitively of the Goldilocks zone argument, because if life evolved very differently, if it were on say another planet in the solar system, would that planet's life forms not also make the same Goldilocks argument? We evolved to fit the shoe. The shoe did not evolve around us. Right. you're, You're totally right. The plants developed those abilities because of conditions over time right like i say it was always there but in our, in our minds it was just like this is for you for shade <laughs> right, right. you know for sustenance yeah. for medicine i mean it's mm-hmm. uh, we can it's a whole other it, uh, ball, there's a, ball of wax yeah there's a reference i had to cut to sean connery's medicine man oh, which just, it didn't have anything to do with it, it was just a, a reason to talk about that film well, you but, brought it back. Tell us about medicine. <laughs> that, that counts. No, you could, you could go I think on He was a grumpy, he had a ponytail. I remember he had yes. like a white ponytail mm-hmm. and he was sort of a Jane Goodall type figure, like mm-hmm. a bit of a white savior story, if I'm not a mistaken. Bit, a bit for I think sure. he had a little yeah. problematic. Well, it, it probably didn't age well, but I do remember seeing in the theater. Mm-hmm. Same. And I... Then as now, in the uh, in the theatrical run of Medicine Man, as well as the ancient past and the current day, as you said, Matt, the world has always, for the most part, run on solar power. It uh, Something that I think we all look back on fondly was during the days when uh, the giant nonfiction company Discovery owned our little podcast, they would occasionally send us these very high production value, prestigious documentary collections, Planet Earth and, of course, Life. And one thing that got got to me about those that still stays with me is that observation that almost every single earthly ecosystem, regardless of how different they may appear to be, they all depend on the sun for energy with, like, a few exceptions. I think one would be deep sea thermal vents. Those those uh, little mini ecosystems, uh, they get their energy from those uh, hydrothermic uh, offbleeds. Yeah, anything in the abyssal system where the light no longer reaches, uh, you can you can count on other energy sources being utilized. You could also say that they still. They still get solar power just through more steps because of animals that are closer to the surface of the ocean when they die or are predated upon. One thing about all the crazy adaptations that that results in, you know, that these these particularly deep sea dwelling creatures that have like headlamps and stuff. And, uh, you know, again, part of the whole system and the whole Goldilocks zone of it all, like that particular zone created that particular type of life. But the sun still kind of, like you said, was involved. I mean, think about like, okay, this is one of the the dumb facts that always that still captures me about those uh, documentaries. Cave systems, even the majority of cave systems get their power through the sun, but in what humans might call a somewhat ignoble way, they get it from excrement, from like guano. When bats fly to the surface, they fly back in. And I, I can't remember, was it David Attenborough who narrated those? Oh, he did the Planet Earth ones, but then there yeah. was like a recut version where I think With Sigourney Oprah, Weaver right? did oh, it. Or, right, right. There was also, obviously, I'm sure that uh, Morgan Freeman has done some over the years. But yeah, Davey Attenborough is the is the main main guy. Talking he about had, guano, he, I always think about Ace Ventura <laughs> when nature calls. Mm-hmm. That's what I think of when I think of guano. I just remember our pal, I think it was Dave, and Dave, apologies if we get this wrong, but I remember when our pal was like, what about caves? 
Surely they don't use the sun. And I'm sitting there, I'm like eating a Psych. sandwich. They totally and he's use like, the sun. Not so fast. Observe <laughs> the humble bat. That's very good, Ben. <laughs> That's like That's he's he's brand. into it. And so we're all even though we may not all universally love the sun, we can admit that it keeps Earth going. In addition to feeding everything and plants, it creates wind, ocean currents, oceanic currents, clouds to transport water and inspire poets and so on. For about five billion years, this guy has been amazing, the sun, uh, and, and a potentially um, catastrophic power source. And people don't spend too much time, uh, you know, thinking about the grand scheme of things in in a scientific bent for much of human history, just sort of always knew everybody always knew that the sun is the creator of livestock agriculture. You know what I mean? And national geographic had a great, um, a great quote about this, uh, about how the sun's placement even affected architecture forever. Basically. Well, yeah. Is that we're talking about where we put windows and entrances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yes, and the quote goes, early civilizations around the world positioned buildings to face south to gather heat and light. They used windows and skylights for the same reason, as well as to allow for air circulation. Genius. And, like, we haven't really improved on that technology, at least in terms of, like, dwellings, you know? I mean, obviously, there's climate control and stuff, but skylights, windows, if you don't have those, all your plants are going to die. All of your house plants are going to die. And let me, you can get like grow lights and stuff, but it's so key to have that sunlight entering your house directly if you're going to keep <laughs> plants alive. Well, yeah, it also changed like what types of materials were used to uh, build those houses and, and structures, right? Because some materials absorb that heat from the sun a little better than others. Yeah, stone and concrete, for instance, and also the construction of greenhouses, leveraging solar power to grow plants out of season or in otherwise inhospitable climates, a.k.a. the you know that with the global shipping um, conspiracy is the reason that you can eat so many things in... Um, far-flung areas of the world at every step along the way plants have been right there you know what i mean they've been the um is andy richter the guy who works with conan o'brien he did he yeah he had his he own did. show eventually but yeah. plants are the andy richter right to the sun's conan o'brien and yeah because you, know, <laughs> you know they make oxygen too <laughs> they do they do the sun does not care Really, about, if, if the sun people. is God, then plants are like Jesus. You know what I mean? That's good like, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, and I mean, this is all we could all listen to this and say, yeah, this is basic stuff. Solar architecture, I get it. I don't have to be a biologist, a botanist, or an astronomer to to get my mind around the basics here. You guys are talking about photosynthesis, fundamental part of life. It's up there with how everybody knows. I still don't know how this became a meme, but all of us know one thing about mitochondria. It's the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> I didn't even know that one thing. You well, knew yeah. that one thing. That's yeah, like maybe a- It was probably tucked away somewhere back there, but yeah. Well, we, we all learned about photosynthesis if you went through basic schooling and took any kind of life science class, right? I mean, it's one of the first things you learn. Photosynthesis. Whoa. I just remember the drawing of a leaf with little animated rays of light going in with arrows on it on one mm-hmm. side and then coming out as little blips of like molecule models or whatever. You remember? You guys pictured yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Well, and, and they'll break it down for you. In preparation for this episode, a lot of us looked back at just the just relearning, right? All the things Absolutely. that we learned as kids. And one of the greatest things you can do right now is head on over to YouTube and just watch some of the some of the Khan Academy videos from like 2010 that actually break that stuff down the way you're describing Noel with, with diagrams with a professor sitting there and showing you, here's all the stuff. It's a, uh, it's not like, what was that movie? Uh, chlorophyll more like Borophil. What mm-hmm. was that? Why was that in my head? I don't know, but I do remember it. I That's remember that a, phrase. Oh God, that is a movie. Somebody write in. What movie is that? Anyway, it's so amazing to really look at it and see the biological structures that exist within plants that actually do these processes because it is just a beautiful machine at work in every leaf that that uses photosynthesis. Billy Madison. That's it. 
<laughs> Billy Madison. Oh boy, I wasn't expecting Adam to show up. But welcome, welcome, Mr. Sandler. Uh, you're you're absolutely right, man. That's such a that's such a beautiful description. It's going to set us up for a beautiful episode in a later evening about whether plants are cultivating humans uh, and what the nature of that relationship is. So this is all true. Nothing is controversial about this. This is all uh, biochemistry and botany that we have learned some piece of in most of the world. But there's a new wrinkle occurring, uh, a wrinkle that has some scientists, not all, but some incredibly concerned. Riddle is this, folks. What if at some point in the near future, plants just sort of stop working? Not, we're not talking about a world of you know sentient plants going on strike or taking collective action. We're talking instead about a world where photosynthesis is no longer possible. And why? That should terrify everyone. Uh, so let's take a break for a word from our sponsors, and uh, we'll be back so long as we have enough oxygen to continue. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Here's where it gets crazy. Bonkers, right? Plants without photosynthesis? That's like a McDonald's that doesn't make fries. Yeah, um, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be great. Uh, and, and just so everybody understands, we're, ta we're talking about photosynthesis. Okay. There, well, there are two things here, right? Mm -hmm. Photosynthesis as a process. Is it possible there's a scenario in which the entire planet earth, uh, all across the board from the leaves to the algae, to the bacteria, all the things that use energy from the sun to create oxygen, and, you know, the ATP and the things that the all those organisms need to grow. Is it possible that that process could stop because of some exterior factor? Or That's, not even not even all of it stopping, but enough of it stopping a high enough percentage that it would render life as we know it non-feasible. Heard. OK, that 
that would be, yeah, that would be catastrophic for sure. And it's probably not something that could ever occur in the flick of a switch, right? It wouldn't just stop. But maybe there's a scenario where the lights across the earth start to slowly go out, you know, starting in one region and then they just continue to go out like some giant power outage. Yeah, like the uh, internet outage I just experienced and recovered from. Um, I'm back now, guys. Thank you. We're for glad you We're glad to have you. Forth. Isn't it funny, though, like the, the microcosm that you're talking about, Matt, it's like these artificial lights are in a way like an extension of this whole ecosystem, this whole like continuum that we're talking about. Like they wouldn't exist either. And now there's this like whole other layer of inorganic kind of, but yet somehow weirdly organic and origin stuff that kind of mimics the sun. Well, yeah, because each individual bacterium or algae or, you know, um, let's just say leaf, each one is a power plant, Right. And you do have to imagine that if somehow these power plants just cease to function or like the mechanisms inside the power plants just broke. It doesn't have to be 100 percent for uh, the results, the consequences to be catastrophic. And and part of the reason it's easy to ignore these sort of things is the vast discrepancy between what is considered a short amount of time in a human life and a short amount of time for life on Earth. Right. So a short amount of time for life on Earth is still thousands and thousands and thousands, if not millions of years. This this thing, um, if plants 100 percent, like you said, Matt, in a, in a almost as though there were a switch being turned, if plants all of a sudden stopped photosynthesis, the world as we know it would end incredibly quickly. It would not be part of some purposeful conspiracy, but rather an accidental global conspiracy on the part of every single human being. And that's because <sighs> there are a lot of plants, and to your point, Noel, about the Goldilocks situation, there are currently an estimated somewhere around 375,000 species of plants, but there are more being discovered each and every year. And though I hesitate to use the phrase, they're not all created equally. Some evolved to exist only in extremely specific circumstances. I'm thinking of the, the largest flowering plant the corpse flower oh, it smells dude. like rotting meat. It's supposed to be a delight. Yeah, but even like cacti, you know? Like, I, I think you, I sounded a little wistful earlier when I was talking about, you got to have windows or you'll kill your plants. Uh, I kill my plants constantly because my house doesn't have very much direct sunlight exposure because of the direction it's facing. But I can keep a cactus alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and look, other plants, to the point about the the cactus, other plants are pretty hardy. And they have a large, um, let's say, uh, margin of error. They have a large tolerance for environmental change. And most plants are autotropic, which is just a fancy word for saying producing one's own food. And they do this using basic inorganic substances around them, water, atmospheric carbon dioxide, and then, you know, a bevy of mineral nutrients from the soil. This is the real superpower. This is what we were gaga about a few minutes ago. All the, like most of the other living things, the vast majority of other living things on earth are heterotrophic, meaning we consume organic carbon and we cannot process these raw materials that plants love. Uh, we can't do that ourselves. So plants are taking one for the team in a very real way. They are the basis of worldwide food webs. They turn inorganic carbon into sugars, and then everybody else shows up after the cooking is done. I mean, surely that's where the term plant comes from in manufacturing and in power generation. I mean, you know, it just, they, plants did it better. And then we had to figure out a way to kind of copy their whole system, you know, to, to, to work for our benefit for like making stuff. Yeah, like, whose who's idea was it to evolve complex systems that don't have thylakoids and cl <laughs> chlorophyll? Okay, okay nerd. Like, right. no, but really, like, why? Why would we not all have that evolutionary trait? Because it's true. We it's could pretty just, advantageous, you know, self-sustaining for the most part. You know, seriously, we could stand in some water, look up at the sun, and be like, hey, we're good. <laughs> have you heard the hippies that are really into like sunning their buttholes? Like that's yes. the thing. What? Yeah, yeah, it's a whole job. Tell us about it. It's a whole I'm like, not going to say more about it. I, like, I'm, luckily, I'm not an expert. You sounded on that like you one. were. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I know about I, the study. I'm not a practitioner, but I Neither have, I have but it, yeah. it is literally just holding your butt to the sun because you, you need to get that 
juice that sun you know energy when, or whatever when podcasts don't work out that's our new startup uh solar chakra.com right that is uh that's, that's a, a choice that's i would have thought i would have thought you would put your root like in a water source right uh mm-hmm. and then absorb sunlight that's level two that's yeah. where you are planted my friend <laughs> where you are planted. It, it is a good question i mean uh in that scenario if we want to walk through it so if what we call animals also evolved to have that power. Inevitably, uh, the theory of evolution would argue that something would evolve to predate on that, not to come before, but to eat it, uh, to use that as a resource. So it's weird too, because not all plants use photosynthesis. Uh, The ones that don't largely evolved parasitic abilities. So they, they grow on other plants and steal battery. yeah, steal the carbon and water and nutrients from from the upstanding plants with an honest plant job, uh, or they feed on decomposing organic material. So even so, while those themselves technically don't practice photosynthesis, they still a hundred percent depend on that process happening somewhere. Again, it's photosynthesis with extra steps. Um, speaking of extra steps, do we want to do we want to talk about how photosynthesis became yes. a thing? I, I I still can only picture the vague illustration uh, from my my textbook in my mind's eye, and I know the basics of it. It's like light in, food out, or basically. I mean, that's like what it amounts to. But then it also creates a byproduct that we need very conveniently and and are able to benefit from in terms of oxygen. Yeah, light light and water are the primary things because you got to get that hydrogen and oxygen in there to break down but which is the craziest thing in in the world that inside plants there is a machine there's machinery within plants that that can oxidize stuff which is it usually takes a tremendous amount of energy to do that as humans have tried to figure out how to oxidize things effectively and what what actually breaks that hydrogen from the oxygen you need a lot of energy and the plant's just like, ha, no problem. <laughs> right, right. Which is why they're too busy to travel a lot of times. Uh, but, okay, let's go to our old colleague, Jesslyn Shields, over at our alma mater, How Stuff Works. Uh, she has a great explanation of this. She says, quote, uh, this is the story, how photosynthesis, how we got here, before we get to how it, you know, boils down. Uh Around a billion years ago, after the Earth was formed, life showed up, says Jessalyn. Probably first as some anaerobic bacteria, that's the stuff that doesn't need oxygen, slurping up sulfur and hydrogen that came out of hydrothermal vents. Mm, Yum, yum. Yeah, and then she goes, and now we've got giraffes. But there were 10,000 gigatons of steps on the road between the first bacteria and giraffes. The bacteria had to figure out how to find new hydrothermal vents. This led to them developing a thermal sensing pigment called bacteriochlorophyll. And then some bacteria still use that to detect infrared signals generated by heat. To your point about tiny machines, Matt, that's likewise astonishing. These bacteria, these uh, heat thirsty boys, were the, uh, the ancestors of things that could later make chlorophyll. Chlorophyll is also a pigment. It captures shorter, more energetic light wavelengths from the sun, and that's where the power comes in. So props to Jesslyn. What a well-written explanation. Dude, the idea of capturing photons, you know, and like even as it pertains to like photography, for example, or like, you know, capturing light and harnessing it in some way is so mind-boggling to me, you know, even with our modern technology. Like it's it's just pretty insane. But like the fact that these organic materials figured out just is it by accident was again just like a set and setting kind of thing like because of again like the position and just the fact that it was constantly exposed and nature just needed to find a way to harness that like how do you even put it into words Mm. well we we don't know we we know that it's it's organisms that somehow decided to team up and go inside each other and become the mechanics (laughs) that function the mitochondria, yeah. I mean, it really is mind-boggling to think that at some point 
life just decided to do that or just started to do it and it worked. So it kept doing it. And, and, and it's a byproduct of that. The oxygen is like an afterthought and that's what allows humanity to exist. We're also only seeing the winners. I think that's a very, oh, very important it's just, point. It's just crazy. The, the layers of it where again, like the fact that oxygen is just sort of, Oh, that's not even the whole point. Like all this other awesome stuff is happening for the plants. And then this oxygen just, you know, also happens to be a thing that allows humans to, breathe and walk around yeah they, they need steps. the electrons the hydrogens right. the oxygen is just a like eh, get the, get yeah. out of here oxygen get out what, of here. what <laughs> is the fastest way to get rid of this unnecessary ingredient that's what they're doing just like a factory uh flushing out chemical byproducts into your local water system i mean that's kind of what it is the analogy holds if and, those byproducts were gold and like magic dust you know what i mean like well yeah. we would say again we would it's all perspective uh if there was a life form that thrived off of the effluvium ejected from factories that you right. would say that's gold too you know oxygen didn't they didn't care Right. These things didn't really care about oxygen. It became important later. But these these bacteria, after countless of them die and mutate ineffectively and then die again, you know, and this one uh, somehow at some indeterminable point. A mutation is successful. A bacteria becomes the translator of capturing those photons using sunlight. But they still haven't figured it out. They needed what we would say, I guess we call them batteries. They had to be able to accumulate those protons and hold them on a ah. discrete side <laughs> of their membrane instead of the other one. Yeah, and then start passing them down through the process, right? That actually generates all the all the things, all the different byproducts that become the energy. And then, but then the craziest thing about this whole photosynthesis thing is it's not just one way, like holding a, holding the um, charge and sending it through one way. It then goes back through the other way in the membrane to create other stuff that the plant then uses to grow itself. Mm-hmm. So and, you're just like, sorry, my mind is so blown. No, it's, it's insane. And, I'm, I'm with, with you, it. dude. Yeah. It's, the, it's also, uh, we have to give, you know, honorable mentions to all the other uh all, all the other things that came into play, the cyanobacteria, the chloroplast, et cetera, et cetera. And all of this leads to something pretty dope, plants. You know them, you should love them, even if you're not a vegetarian. These things take in carbon dioxide and water, as we mentioned, from air and soil. And then they have kind of some feature verses from uh, nutrients, minerals, micronutrients and stuff in the dirt. The water is, as you said, Matt, oxidized. And oxidized just means it loses electrons. This uh, CO is the carbon dioxide, excuse me, CO2 is reduced. So it gains electrons. This transforms the water into oxygen. Carbon dioxide turns into glucose. The plant is like, "Mm, I'm amazing at this. And then it releases that oxygen back into the air. Who cares about that? And it stores energy within those glucose molecules. Not to mention they're delicious, whether or not you're a vegetarian, and they provide us nourishment. I forgot about the whole fact that we can eat the things, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, I figured mean, that part out, too. Yeah. Jeez <laughs> Louise. And I, I mean, they're, they are attractive. They, they make us want to eat them. You know what I mean? And they taste good. And the ones that don't will kill you. Or you're some kind of glutton for, like, a really spicy pepper like Matt. Yeah, and just to, if you want to go down this rabbit hole, you really should. Cannot recommend the the video series that the Khan Academy has for free. You can watch right now that goes all into the what they call the light reactions, the dark or light in, independent reactions, all the way to the Calvin cycle. The Calvin cycle is something we're not even going to fully go into today. But like, good, uh, just re-blow your mind to remind yourself how. I don't remember the how, Calvin cycle. Yeah. It's it's all that it's all that extra stuff of okay. like what the diagrams so, within the diagrams with little circle like arrows around it you know like it's the, so yeah. complex it's yeah. beautiful mm-hmm. it's always, absolutely it's, beautiful it's, I'm sure yeah shout out stomata stroma all the hits like oh the, I remember okay yeah. okay now you're jogging some some well it does loose. like the, again the vocabulary is great and, and all that but the how it works together just. I don't know. It gives you an appreciation. It's a, it's like an overview effect that you can get by studying a plant. It's weird. Well said. Big fans of Khan Academy as well. Can't shout them out enough. And this reminds me of, I, I listened back um, to, I can't remember the title, 
uh, excellent episode we did back in the day about uh, plants and consciousness because plants do something very similar to speaking with each other. And also, oh man, there's so many great TED Talks too we should mention along with Khan Academy. This, yeah, this is fascinating. I think that's an excellent point, Matt, the idea of the overview effect. Uh, you don't have to be an astronaut to encounter it. The world continues on. After all of this brute force evolutionary hacking, uh, the countless back to the drawing board moments, we are here in 2023. We have to remember plants are like any other living thing that humans know of. They have evolved to live in a set of specific ranges and thresholds and circumstances, just like humans can and will die when wet bulb temperature gets past a certain threshold. Plants need a specific temperature to really vibe. By vibe, we mean conduct photosynthesis, to use their superpower. It turns out that past a certain threshold, a temperature can become a kryptonite to the plant's superpower, and they will suddenly be up a very bad river with no way back down. Uh, well, it's crazy. We've known that those thresholds exist with ambient temperatures in plants, since the 1800s. Since 1864, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and get into why we're even doing this episode. Like, Why are we worried about photosynthesis? There's a real threat. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we have returned. Uh, also, just because we're going into some of the uh, more disturbing territory here, I want, I want you guys to know we're recording this remotely. The reason I put... Uh, my my handle on here is photo simp assist is just because <laughs> I thought it was a cool pun and there's not really a way to put it in naturally. So is that like a, a is that reference to being like this? You simp for photosynthesis? 
I'm still not sure. You okay. know, okay. You, you find the pun first and then you figure you out how. Wait, why, that's not how we do science. That's, that's how not. plants figured out the oxygen thing. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, uh, all right, here's what happened. There was a paper published in the journal Nature in August of 2023, led uh, by a guy named Christopher Doughty. He is the associate professor in eco-informatics at Northern Arizona University, and they put in some crazy work. If you are worried about the mass extinction of bees, allow us to introduce you to a nice side dish. Make that existential dread a combo meal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, your flowers uh, don't work and neither do your leaves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Professor Dowdy says, uh, let's do this. He says, let's get a specific type of instrument, uh, something called EcoStress, a thermal sensor. Let's launch that on the International Space Station, ISS, and we're going to keep it up there for about uh, for a while. Uh, we're going to use two years worth of data from 2018 to 2020 to get a big picture of the overall situation. And they didn't stop there. They also looked on the ground. They put well, we, well, let's talk before we talk about on the ground. Let's talk about just exactly what they're looking at with from that big picture. Sure. Because when they get photos and information back and temperature readings from all the way up at the ISS, they're looking at one pixel equals 70 meters, like square meters. So that's a huge swath, like an area, right, that they're studying from that overview standpoint. Um, but but you can't get very granular with that. So they needed a way to all to like get um, cl closer to the action, I guess. Mm -hmm. And if you want to learn more about eco stress, I cut a lot of this, but it's really interesting. Go to uh, the jet propulsion laboratory over at uh, the California Institute of Technology, Caltech. Uh, just search that in eco stress and you can, you can learn in detail. Some of the stuff Matt is talking about, but you're absolutely right. And so they needed, just as you described, Matt, they needed a closer look. So what we were saying is they did not stop there. They went on the ground. They placed sensors across canopies uh, in, around the globe, Australia, Brazil, Panama, Puerto Rico. And they were not working off just some sort of inarticulate hunch. Scientists, uh, as we mentioned previously, knew there was something important about temperature in plants as far back as 1864. And what they found then, again, way back then, was that the leaves of some plants could survive temperatures of up to 122 degrees Fahrenheit. For the rest of the world, that's 50 degrees Celsius. And once they got past at or past that point, the leaves would die. Important distinction, not the whole plant. The leaves, the things that are like it's it's almost like saying your mouth or your lungs or your digestive system die. Right. Uh, but your body is still technically alive. And so knowing that this is how amazing the study is. This professor and his team uh, also pulled a study from 2021 which found that 147 different tree species in tropical biomes, they found that these trees, their photosynthesis, petered out uh, at an average temperature of 46.7 degrees Celsius. That would be a, a little north of 116 degrees Fahrenheit. So good to know, for most of human history, this was not a huge issue. The places that typically reached those temperatures had typically reached those temperatures for a very, very long time. And plants that existed in those areas had adapted to live there. But that might be changing. And here's, here's the kicker. I want to be careful with this and not be too, too alarmist. But Dowdy's team found that roughly one in every 10,000 leaves in, in their big measurement experience temperature changes right now that are too high for photosynthesis. Those leaves were out of commission. They were dying. Uh, it's pretty, pretty somber stuff. Uh, Science News also points out that this is to the earlier, to our earlier statement, this is not happening around the world yet. This is happening in discrete hotspots. Oof, accidental pun, terrible. But it's happening in discrete areas similar to the way that monsoons or hurricanes only occur in specific parts of the world. Yeah, and they're only studying the canopies of tropical rainforest. That That's really, really important. And they're only finding that one in 10,000 of these leaves 
are getting affected or trees are being affected. So it's, you know, at this point from this study, it's sombering, but it's not, uh, and it's not alarm bells going off, right? Because it is just at the very tippy top. When we're talking about canopy, you're talking about the upper levels of plants because there are all kinds of different plants of different sizes in a tropical rainforest and tropical rainforest tend to run hot a lot hotter than other places in other large forests. So like we got to keep all that stuff in mind when we're thinking about this, because it doesn't sound scary one in 10,000 leaves, but if we're at a threshold and ambient temperatures are rising across the board, then it could potentially be a much bigger problem pretty soon. Agreed. Yeah. Science News does it this way. They say, quote, the analysis revealed a mosaic of temperatures in forest canopies during periods when forests were hot and their soil was dry. Temperatures across the canopy reached an average peak of 34 degrees Celsius. Some tracks exceeded 40 degrees Celsius. And going back to going all the way back to the mid 1800s, 50 degrees Celsius is our very worrisome point. About 0.01% of the time, just in the upper canopy, these leaves would hit above the danger threshold. The highway to the danger zone is 46.7 degrees Celsius. The ride-out danger zone proper, 50 degrees Celsius. And that means that on a regular basis, Earth is beginning to hit that limit, past which photosynthesis simply will not occur. But it's not like this would happen overnight with like every I mean, it's a it's a gradual process. And it would it's like like you described earlier, Matt, the idea of like a power grid, like visually going down, kind of cascading, but maybe on a much longer timeline or what kind of timeline are we talking? Well, well, yeah, we'll talk the timeline. But the big thing to note is this is the canopy of a tropical rainforest region. So if ambient temperatures at in that specific band around the Earth hit those, exceed those levels on a regular basis, you're talking about killing the, or potentially the leaves at that upper level dying. Now, if those ambient temperatures reach all the way down to the ground level, right, in the dense forest, then you're talking about potentially killing off leaves, basically vertically, as you're moving down towards the the ground. And there's a snowball effect because those leaves in every level of the canopy above, right? Those leaves also provide cover and cooling Mm -hmm. for the levels beneath them. So Mm -hmm. there is, uh, there is the possibility for an exacerbation of this. And to your question, Noel, regarding how this ball breaks down, I found a really fun thread on, uh, one of, I want to say one of my most enjoyable subreddits. They did the math. It's yeah. the unnecessarily, well, I would say it's very thorough math about all sorts of strange questions. And one of the estimates there, they said, okay, let's assume photosynthesis, even though it won't happen. Let's assume it all goes dead at once. And we just have a finite amount of oxygen from that point on. How long would it take humans alone to suffocate themselves in the escape room of earth the answer 704,000 years oh well then we're fine <laughs> yeah well because algae like ocean algae <laughs> no, is uh, yeah. the primary oxygen source right i mean around 70 percent yeah so we're yeah it uh, yeah we, we would it's be good able to, to know not doesn't give us a pass, but it is good no. to know that like this isn't an immediate apocalyptic event like, you know, breathing up all the air like in a in a mini sub or something, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do know the only I've got to give a shout out where it's due uh, credit where it's due. The only reason I know uh, the algae stuff is because of the film. Waterworld. Watching that, I thought, well, all the plants are gone except for this one island. How could they breathe? And that's when uh, a friend helpfully pointed out, well, Ben, algae create most of the oxygen. That's also where I learned about desalination, or at least in terms of pee. And like, mm. remember that scene? <laughs> I think it's the one everyone remembers where he's on the raft and he pees oh, into, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. into a thing and then he drinks it. I guess that is a still suit, basically. It's a portable still suit. But. That boat was so cool. What is the name for those? Is it a catamaran? I think it is. The tree I, I just remember Dana Carvey did a joke about it, like as Bush or something. He said, you can't pee into a Mr. Coffee and expect taster's choice. <laughs> classic, classic. Uh, that guy had such a good stand-up career in, in the cards. But so, okay, there are things that make this number, there are problems with this number. I and mean, 
you can walk through the math. You can see it. The the people on Reddit posting this did a great job. Uh, it doesn't factor in a lot of other things. It doesn't factor in, for example, all of the other non-human animals that are big fans of breathing oxygen on a, dare I say, regular basis. Uh, it doesn't factor in comorbid stuff. Increases in population. You know, the fact that mass starvation will occur before the oxygen uh quote unquote, runs out. Climate chaos, which again, I think is a far more accurate term than the sort of milk toast climate change we've been using. It, so it seems like, again, without being experts, that while 704,000 years is a long, long time, uh, things hit the fan way, way before that point. But the good news, like you said, Noel, it, this is not going to immediately lead to disaster. 0.01% is not a big percentage. Selfishly, I was like, my immediate calculation was not within my lifetime or the lifetime of my kid or loved ones. So I'm good. But that's really a selfish uh, way to think. Um, well, that may not be true. No. Really? Okay, yeah. go on. Uh, well, and it all depends on how runaway, you know, the greenhouse effect becomes. Right. Uh, and if it does get really bad, if rising ambient temperatures expand out of that tropical zone and keep moving towards the poles and it gets worse and worse and worse, then I, what is what is the year, Ben? We both talked about it off air, like twenty one, two thousand one hundred. Twenty one hundred would be the um, the time that greenhouse gas emissions push the world to that amount of warming that amount of warming right now experts estimate these plants can survive about four degrees celsius of warming above the current levels before trees lose all their leaves the plant version of going bald and then die uh it wouldn't hit the entire earth at once plant die-offs follow the pattern of okay, i gotta stop seeing hot spots follow the pattern of the the warming here Right. So, for instance, in the poles of the planet, this warming, this, you know, like the transformation of the tundra and the um, the thawing of permafrost, that's going to be a very different situation than what will occur in the equator and in the tropical areas of the Earth. Guys, is it still even remotely controversial, like climate change, climate chaos? Are there still people that find that to be maybe not and we're not the jury's still out? Yes, there are people who who feel that way, but uh, I think it's safe to say that the science so far is unanimous. Now that the corporations who were paying for opposing voices, now that they are exposed, uh, it's increasingly less controversial. I don't think it's controversial at all. I, I think it stuff. feels maybe more like a political talking point, you know, on, on one side of an argument to like, I don't know if even the people that say it believe it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it was uh, Vladimir Putin just recently had, I, I think it was yesterday, we're recording November 9th. This was on November 8th. Uh, he started asking these very strange questions about ice in Antarctica. And uh, he was like, how much ice can you store in Antarctica repeatedly? Uh, and is that like a riddle? <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. I don't know. Is it a code? Uh, Very it, interesting. It, um, Western analysts are speculating that that is an, a, an attempt to cast further aspersion upon the idea of climate chaos. But yeah, to your point, political, oh. I think. Yeah, it doesn't help that there are all kinds of strange sounding schemes like carbon offset programs where you can just somehow pay your way out of the pollution your corporation generates. It's like paying indulgences to the Catholic Church so that you can like sin. It's like uh, the economist loves it. The economists and neoliberals love that one. Well, yeah, but it it does not help the skepticism. I think that exists out there Agreed. for, you know, for the science behind the subject, because it does feel like it's being taken advantage of by people who want to make money and want to be able to spend more tax dollars on things that are not probably helpful. Um, yeah. Anyway, I mean, there's also the fact that, look, when you hear these numbers and, you you know, it's a bit of a roller coaster. Oh, plants are dying because it's getting too hot. Uh True. That does seem to be the precedent 
that does seem to be the pattern that will continue unless variables change. But uh, there's still a bevy of other factors at play. There would already be, uh, there already is a growing impact on historical agricultural resources, the so-called breadbaskets of civilization. The interior of the U.S., parts of Europe, Asia, India, parts of Africa, uh, and, you know, the biodiversity of South America uh, and Southeast Asia also under intense threat. And they would be dealing with this growing plant die-off in conjunction with unpredictable weather, droughts, flooding at the wrong time, and, of course, the ever-present growing threat of political instability. The, the truth is we don't know everything about the fallout here. We also don't know everything about the adaptive abilities of every tree species. Humanity still doesn't know how many plant species exist. There are many unknowns here and we also don't know um we don't know how the deaths of individual leaves impact the mortality of a given species of tree. And so that's why there are some people saying, "Hold on, we might be overestimating vulnerability. Uh, one guy, ecologist Christopher Still, so he's not just some guy, he is an ecologist. He said, maybe we're, you know, we're making this assumption that when leaves hit this critical temperature, they die. That's a cold comfort, though, I would argue. It's a bit of a fig leaf in the face of what may well become an existential threat. I mean, you're saying we're just barely covering it up just enough to where. It can still walk around and mm -hmm. <laughs> we wouldn't be embarrassed by what's under the fig leaf. Okay, mm -hmm. got it. Just enough to tell later generations, well, you know, we, we put a good hustle in. It was a big swing. Uh, and my question, though, is, is this a possible tipping point? Like what happens, not when 100% of plants stop photosynthesis, that seems very, very far away and alarmist, but what happens when a certain percentage of them stop? What do you guys, how do you think guys think this shakes out? It's going to get real weird because, you know, there are massive ice sheets on Antarctica that are now beyond the point of being able to maintain, right? So there's some serious melting occurring there. Uh there's going to be a lot more water <laughs> within the whole system that we run in here, both, both in the oceans and in the skies. So plants are going to have no shortage of the, the hydration they need to continue photosynthesis. They're going to have no shortage of sun because it's just hanging out there blasting the earth. We, uh, if we can, <laughs> I love that image, Matt. The sun just hanging out, blasting the air. Well, it, it blasts everything. Oh, it blasts right? everything. Uh, but 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 isn't? Remember, we were talking in the beginning about how late, and, and what a coincidence that it's this exact right distance as the ozone layer continues to be depleted and stuff. I mean, is that going to become? I know that the warming is one part of it, but just like the heat, like I mean, I wonder. Like well, not time, long ago, the ozone holes some of the major ones were beginning to fill in which was actually good news yeah it's on uh due to the success of the montreal protocol the ozone so layer is actually mitigation? getting better yeah thing okay maybe i'm not aware of that that's gonna well, take about four decades got it yeah the big thing now is just heat trapping that still occurs uh, heat trapping within the system um but i don't know the plants they're resilient buggers. Uh, yeah. That's for sure. Uh, that's the thing. We we see it on, on a human lifespan because that's all we know. And we measure time in life and death of humanity, right? Right. Of that, generations. Uh, timeline discrepancy we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I don't mean to retread things. Uh, it's just, I think it is um, a matter of perspective. Oh, yeah. No, it, it really makes you think, you know? How that we're just a blip. <laughs> I mean, no, just the idea of the evolution and the connection and the fact that plants are really not about individuals. They're about like the whole system, you know, and even if they were to go away, you have to imagine that byproduct that we've relied on. That would be the issue for us. They'll probably evolve into something else over time on another planet, on another star, whatever. I mean, oh, you know. I forgot to tell you guys, I read this, um, I got really into uh, research with fungus in space. I there didn't know this, but fungus is a huge problem for astronauts. 
Were you guys aware of this? Because they're always tripping balls when they're in their space suits and freaks them out. Well, it's literally their balls. It's uh, a ball fungus. Oh, no joke. It grows. Yeah, it coats uh, mechanisms, coats windows, everything. It's it's actually a really good argument for panspermia, which still needs a better name as a theory. But uh, Sperm, another thing that astronauts are plagued by. Yes. Yes. Wait a minute, what? Just float around. (laughs) Globules, just like. In space, no one can hear you. You know what? Never mind. No one can hear you. Uh, no, you got too good. I'm sorry. I didn't but even want to this say. this disaster though, and and I got I do hope this was worth an episode. I hope oh, yeah. not making a mountain album molehill. Um, if so, I apologize. But we gotta remember this disaster occurs concurrently. It's in step with other things that are on the way. Uh, widespread drought, climate migration on massive levels, rising oceans. The long-term effects of microplastics, the list goes on and on and on, and fortunately, so does the science. Well, and while this is an existential threat episode, um, I found it very educational and enlightening as well. You know what I mean? Uh, it was really fun hearkening back to some of those earliest memories of like learning about what science is and how magical these systems are, you know, and how utterly mind-boggling their existence is, you know, and... Again, I hope we don't see any of this these ramifications in our lifetime. Do you guys think there's there's mitigate there's mitigation for this? Like, is it too late? Have we swung too far? Uh, it's Do kind not, of, not enough people care. Well, it's 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 difficult, I think, sometimes to articulate in an impactful way consequences that do not seem immediately apparent right going to that idea of perspective and time scale maybe one of we mentioned this i think on a on a previous recording but maybe one of the best ways to think about it is okay the car accident like climate chaos is like a car accident and in this uh comparison the accident is already happening the car has left the road we can see the tree ahead the question is, what do we do in those figurative few seconds before the car hits the tree? We jump out of the car. Space. We find, we find a new car or we walk. <laughs> Never set foot in a car again. So maybe it's a matter of, you know, and that it's not the best comparison, but maybe it's a matter of seatbelts, airbags, swerving to what degree that can occur. But it takes a lot of collective global action in a way that is relatively unprecedented. It was nice to hear that the ozone holes are are better, doing better. Like that's, that was news to me. Like, I'm not joking. I was like, wait, cool. Okay. That's, that's some positive silver lining. Yeah. There's been, it's so weird because we have experienced over our lifetimes, a lot of alarmism over this stuff, right? Probably rightly so. Um, It's balancing the, Fear we need to have in order to take action, right? With the knowledge that that fear should ha- it has to be tempered, because if if we're just freaking out about it because it feels so dire, we're not going to get anything done. Um, but if you don't have enough fear, you're not going to get anything done either. So I don't know. And, and I think we always strive to to be as not alarmist as humanly possible. To just lay out the facts, approach it with a little bit of lightheartedness. Because what else can you do? And hopefully, we're not trying to freak anybody out or make anyone feel despaired. You know, but this is something to to be aware of. But also, don't let it keep you up at night. I guess if you can help it, or do mm. I don't well, know. We we have to. Maybe the best way to put a button on this is to say, look, you. You can put political ideology, corporate perspectives, cultural differences, all that jazz, all that space fungus to one side because none of it alters the simple fact. The clock is ticking. And the question is, what does humanity do in response? And hey, folks, thanks as always for tuning in. If you can fix this, if you can share with us the immediate solution, we would love to hear it. We will forward it everywhere uh, all you have to do or if you know if you have uh we want to hear your take on this uh from your neck of the global woods ideas for future episodes limericks cool puns surely we can do better than photosynthesis so uh, let us know what's on your mind we try to be easy to find in a variety of ways oh you're not even the simp you're the assistant of the simp it's a very 
fraught uh, uh, concept, Ben. I love it. But you can indeed write to us about that. Make up new words. Send it to us. You can find us on social media. Uh, we are Conspiracy Stuff on YouTube, Facebook, and X, nay, Twitter. Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, do you like to talk on your phone? Well, talk to us. Our number is one eight three three stdwytk It's a voicemail system, guys, that happens to be empty right now. We need new voicemails. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you call, you got three minutes. Give yourself a cool nickname and let us know if we can use your name and message on one of our listener mail episodes. If you've got more to say that can fit in that voicemail, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are the folks who read every single email we get. Send us those links. Send us those photos. We can't wait to hear from you. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.